Don't patch all the claw. You with me, Frank? There you go. <laughs> 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 he went out for breakfast. <laughs> all right, this is a tune that we were singing just a moment ago. It's right here. He is so tricky. I just want to worry. Oh, there it is. Don't patch all the cloth with a piece of new, or else the old will tear right through. Don't put new wine in old white skins. The skins will was written in stone. I wasn't 
insulted. Like most Christians, I, I like a good heresy now and then. And I do think that God is still reaching out to us in love and in wisdom. I experience that reaching out myself from time to time, and I see it in others. I see it in so many of you. The real problem that the Orthodox of that day, of Montanus's day, the real problem they had with Montanism was that Montanus and his fellow prophets were making a, a very public display of their prophesy, and they weren't doing it quietly. They were doing it out on the street, and they were bringing unwanted attention to a, a Christianity that, although it was still illegal in the Roman Empire, was trying to get along with the Roman authorities and trying to adapt to the extent that it could to Roman culture. So, even if the Montanists were preaching truth, it was an inconvenient truth, expressed in loud and inconvenient ways. Ways that threatened to turn people off, or worse. So that's Montanism. Now you know. But if I am a bit of a Montanist, I find that I'm in pretty good company. John Wesley, remember John Wesley? the founder of the, the Methodist movement, was accused of being a Montanist, of veering away from orthodox established teachings and traditions. And he was accused not without reason. I learned, as I dug deeper into this, as I, I didn't know or as I had forgotten, that Wesley was a fan of Montanists. John Wesley comments in one of his letters to a critic, that Montanus was not about bringing some new doctrine, but was working to revive what was decayed. Quote, working to reform what might be a myth. End quote. And that sometimes might burst a wineskin or two. Wesley claimed that Montanus was not only a truly good man, but one of the best men then upon earth, and one of the holiest. <laughs> I didn't feel so bad about being called a Montanist. <laughs> I didn't tell him all this yet. But well, in Wesley's journal of August 1750, he goes even further. Oh, I can't resist telling you about it. He writes, I was fully convinced of what I had once suspected. One, that the Montanists in the 2nd and 3rd century were real scriptural Christians. And, two, that their grand reason why the miraculous gifts were so soon withdrawn from the church was not only that faith and holiness were well nigh lost, but that dry, formal, orthodox men began even then to ridicule whatever gifts they had not themselves received and to decry them as either madness or imposture. Ooh, don't you love Wesley? <laughs> so I really don't mind being accused of being a Montanist if Wesley himself was so happy about being a Montanist. And I have a sneaky feeling that had the word been around way long time ago, Jesus himself would have embraced the term himself. Let's take a quick look at today's exchange with the dry, formal, orthodox man of his day. 
We see him reclining at the table, eating and drinking with his disciples at the home of a corrupt toll taker, a tax collector. And other questionable people were there as well, we hear. And a group of Pharisees challenged him. Now, where, where are the Pharisees in this picture? I'm trying to, to see, are they also in the house there? Are they part of the party or, or, or something? I wonder about that, and it could be, because you know what? Jesus hangs out with all sorts of people, and sometimes you find them eating and drinking at the house of a Pharisee, according to Luke. Jesus probably thought of himself as a kind of a Pharisee, someone dedicated to, the, to teaching the way of God, to living your life in God's way. But there were Pharisees and Pharisees just as there are Christians and Christians. So what do these Pharisees, this group of Pharisees, what do they object to? Well, they have some problems with three different things. One, Jesus is with the wrong people. He's eating and drinking in the wrong place with the wrong people. And they are eating and drinking. They're not fasting and praying. And evidently, they're eating and drinking quite a lot. And third, that Jesus, through his heterodox teachings and actions, are leading people astray. That's the problem they have with Jesus. And you can see their point. Although Jesus had dedicated his life to Jewish tradition, although Jesus is completely dedicated to that tradition and completely committed to his God, with whom he has a closer connection than anybody else. He doesn't see that tradition in the same way they do, in the same way those Pharisees do. He doesn't teach that tradition in necessarily the same way they do. Jesus distills the law of God into a commandment to love. Love God above all things and love your neighbor as yourself. The love commandment is the heart and soul of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And don't let anybody tell you anything different. And that is perhaps what John Wesley has in mind when he gives his fledgling Methodist movement three general rules. When I heard there were three rules about how to be a Methodist, I was like, oh, grown, what are they? And here they are. Do no harm. Do good. And stay in love with God. Do no harm. Do good. Stay in love with God, is how we speak of those general rules. Follow those rules, and you're going a long way to following the tradition of Wesley. Follow those rules, and you're going a long way to living out the gospel of Jesus Christ. This Friday, as we perhaps know, 16 members and more of this congregation will fly to St. Louis, Missouri for a special session of the General Conference of the United Methodist Church. We don't know what will happen there. Our conservative colleagues have been pushing what they call the traditional plan, by which they mean that a plan that would force all of us in the Methodist movement to adhere strictly to the anti-LGBTQI language that was inserted to our denomination's rule book, the Book of Discipline, beginning in 1972. 
as you may recall, according to the Book of Discipline, queer United Methodists cannot be ordained or serve as pastors, although we know that they can and they do. According to the Book of Discipline, same-sex couples cannot be married in United Methodist churches, although we know that they can, and they do. And United Methodist clergy cannot officiate at those weddings, although we can, and we do. Might well. My conservative Catholic colleagues, who I value and, and love, claim that this violation of the rules violates our Methodist tradition. But I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I know something about Methodist tradition. I know something about Christian tradition. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about following the Spirit of God. It's about following the Scriptures. And it's never really about following rules. It wasn't for Jesus. It wasn't for Wesley. Well, it's not for me. Right Here's the tradition I know, and it's important to me, so I want you to know about it. It's the tradition I cling to as a United Methodist pastor and as a small part of the great Methodist movement. Because at its heart, the Methodist movement is a liberating tradition. It's a progressive tradition. It's a Jesus tradition. It's a tradition that once in a while risks bursting dry, brittle wineskins with the taste of new wine. And so the Methodist tradition I follow is about John Wesley calling women to preach despite a storm of criticism. About John Wesley speaking out against slavery in a way that cost him some followers. The Methodist tradition I follow is about Wesley taking it on himself to ordain preachers in violation of the rules and send them to America because the need for them here was so great. The Methodist tradition that I follow and love is about Wesley's brother Charles, who captured by the Spirit of Grace broke words like the ones we sang a moment ago. See how great a flame aspires, kindled by a spark of grace. Jesus loved the nation's fire, sets the kingdoms on a blade. Saints of God, your Savior, praise who the door hath opened wide. The Methodist uh, tradition that I follow is about the toll puddle martyrs. Who are the toll puddle martyrs, you might ask? <laughs> yeah, don't. A group of Methodist lay preachers and congregants who in the 1830s, by standing up against exploitation, gave birth to a worldwide trade union movement, standing up for the rights of workers. The Methodist tradition that I love is about Methodist abolitionist preachers like Frederick Douglass and Harriet Tubman, who put their preaching into action in a way that risked far more than criticism from the dry, formal, orthodox men of their day. It's about people like the Reverend Jim Lawson, who was a friend and college classmate of my mom's, who taught Martin Luther King about Gandhian nonviolent resistance, and whose leadership of the sit-in movement in Nashville led to his numerous arrests and got him kicked out of Vanderbilt Seminary. You remember Brown versus Board of Education? Want to guess who Brown was? The Reverend Oliver L. Brown, Methodist 
pastor. That's our tradition. That tradition is about people like Harry Ward, the Reverend Harry Ward, Reverend Dr. Harry Ward, the founder and first leader of the American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU. The Methodist tradition I follow is about people like Tracy West, or Greg Delk, or our own Dorothy Benz, who said, we just have to be the church that we need to be, that we're called to be together with our LGBTQI siblings. It's a tradition that's about people like the Reverend Lee Matthews, who said, I'm answering God's call, but I'm answering it as the person that I am, the person who God made me to be. So that's the tradition, friends. That's the Methodist tradition. You want to make a tradition plan, traditional plan out of that tradition, I'll be all for it. I'll be all for it. I'd be all for a traditional plan that really reflects the Methodist tradition. That really reflects that tradition of Wesley, that tradition of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel of love, justice, and reconciliation. I'd be all for that. I'd be all over that. That's the church that I gave my life to. That's a church I can get behind and stay behind. That's a church that preaches a gospel that sometimes bursts those dry, brittle wineskins with the taste of new wine, bursting through a dry and decaying traditionalism and liberates us all, conservatives and progressives alike. Another church, a different church, a church that refuses and fails to embrace that Methodist tradition, that fails to reflect the vision of Wesley and the Gospel of Jesus. That's a church I think Jesus would resist. That's a church I think John Wesley would resist. That's a church I feel called by God to resist. And that's a church I invite each of you to resist. We resist, we refuse to let 